Welcome to the Best of Women's Fiction podcast. I'm Lainey Cameron, and in this podcast, I interview authors I admire. If you enjoy the podcast, I'd love if you subscribed and gave it some stars. This episode is with Maddie Dawson, who shares the inspiration behind her latest novel, The Magic of Found Objects, released this month on Amazon First Reads and is already a number one bestseller in several categories, including friendship fiction with more than a thousand great reviews. Just a heads up that this is the last episode for a month while I take a planned season break from the podcast. I'll be starting back in September. I'm here with Maddie Dawson to talk about her latest release, The Magic of Found Objects, which if you only listen to the first five seconds, you can actually get it on Amazon First Reads right now for kind of for free if you're a member of the monthly program, but only for another 48 hours. So if you're looking to get it, now is the time to go get it. And this book is lovely. It made me laugh. The main character is adorable. I'm excited to hear where your inspiration came from because it's got some really unique themes in it that I haven't seen before. So first off, thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. I am so thrilled to be on your podcast. I watch all of them and I love them and they're just so much fun. So it's quite an honor to be to be here with you. And your book, this particular book, I mean, you have so many wonderful books out there, but this one already has a thousand reviews. It's just short of a thousand reviews as we're recording this, which I'm sure will be over that by the time folks are watching. Insane, right? Being on first rates for a month, you're getting all these great reviews. And here's some of the things I'm, I'm liking. Uh, people are saying... It's a great read. It's engaging. It's charming. And I love that it's a bestseller in friendship fiction, which is really interesting. I, I Yes, yes. Well, the two main characters are best friends, a man and a woman. They've been best friends since they were kindergartners. So yeah. So tell us more. Tell us about the story of the book for those who haven't okay. seen it yet. Okay. So it's um, Franzi Linnell was conceived at Woodstock um, by two people who never probably should have met a kind of witchy artistic woman and a farmer's son from New Hampshire. And they meet at Woodstock. They're kind of teenagers. They fall in love quickly, conceive twins, and then can't make the marriage work. So they split up and Franzi is raised pretty much by her father and stepmother but she sees her mother during the summers, her witchy mother. And so she grows up kind of she says she has practicality and magic in her DNA, and she has to keep making life decisions. She's not sure where she lands on those things. So it's a book about falling in love and whether that's important or not, or whether you want to just be practical and go for security. And I'll tell you that you would never give away the ending in any way, but I'm about 70% of the way through the book, so you're not allowed to give away the ending because I don't know where it ends yet. But I, I will tell people that it's kind of fun because the conversation going on is like, is she going to marry her best friend? And that's coming up very early in the book, right? right? And so, and they are very good friends. And like you say, it's that practical thing of like, this is someone I'm compatible with. We find each other funny. We love to be together. Is that enough is the question. And I think your exploration of that is amazing. It was really fun doing it because his contention is he's the one that suggests getting married. And he says, we're sick of dating. And all of our old friends who've gotten married now hate each other. You know, they're at each other's throats all the time. So it's an advantage that we're not in love. You know, this is what love should be. This kind of friendship we will be able to raise kids. We'll always be on each other's side. And it's a compelling argument, you know, and she's like, 
yeah, I think this really kind of works. And then she goes on kind of, well, but there's magic also, you know, what do we do? And talk to us about the title. Can you share anything about the title of the book that folks might be interested in? Yes. The Magic Found Objects comes about because the witchy mom is an artist and that's how she makes her living. She just picks up found objects and turns them into art and sells them. And she just has this very bohemian lifestyle. She lives in Woodstock the whole time. And, you know, she has men coming in and out of her life and everything's just sort of really magical for her. And she can't conceive of living any other way. And then Franzi, who's named for her mother's favorite character in a book from the five little peppers and how they grew, which is a book from really a long time ago. Franzi was the curly haired blonde toddler, but Franzi's really caught. She loves being with her mom and all the hippies, but her twin brother Hendrix named for guess who (laughs) hates being there, even though it feels very unsafe. So it's kind of this, where do you land in life? You know, that's really so, that the thing. So let's is. take a peek at one review. And then I want to know the inspiration of where this whole idea came from. And so this is from Barbara Davis, another author I adore, who is actually one of the Blue Sky Book Chat hosts with me on Facebook and the Blue Sky Book Chat group. And I love how Barbara caught that it's a charming tale about what happens when your heart, head tells you to settle, but your heart keeps whispering something else. Funny, poignant, and beautifully clear-eyed, a delightfully grown-up coming-of-age story. I, that captures it so nicely, the tone I, of the book. I love Barbara. So, yes, it was so nice of her to do that. So where did the inspiration for this whole idea come from? Well, I don't know about you when you're writing books, but I always get two inspirations, you know, and this book was no different. I want, I've always wanted to write a book about Woodstock because... I'm just fascinated with that whole thing of a half a million people suddenly converging on this small town and having this very peaceful, mud, very (laughs) musical experience. And I was too young to go. Plus, I lived in California. But my uncle, who was a rock star, believe it or not, his he was oh. in a band produced by Jimi Hendrix called oh. Catmother and the All Night Newsboys. And he was spending that summer with the band touring all these music festivals. 1969 was when there were all these music festivals. So he went and he was in a music festival with Jimi Hendrix in New Jersey and then Woodstock turned out to be the biggest thing going. So Jimi Hendrix and his band was helicoptered into Woodstock. <laughs> the poor cat mother had to stay behind in New Jersey. And he's always been like, we could have been famous if they had just taken us too, you know. So that wow. was something I always wanted to write about, although my uncle is not in this book. But the other thing, the, the more serious inspiration was the thing about the two moms. I had two moms, my my biological mother and my stepmother, and they hated each other. You know, my my father married my mother after having a fight with his longtime girlfriend for years. He moved to a different city, meets my mom, marries her within two months. They have three kids together. It's a disastrous marriage. They end up getting divorced and he marries his old girlfriend. Oh, wow. I know. So it was like... I always wanted to write about that because I really had these two very, very different moms. My own mom was a little bipolar, a little bit crazy. You know, life was always exhilarating and unexpected and really kind of nuts with her. And my stepmom was this stable, calming kind of person who gave me this different perspective in life. 
One was really a lot of fun. One was really grounding. So I wanted to write a book about a woman who's who has these two moms who bring her such different perspectives. So bringing in the Woodstock thing and the two moms thing, you know, it drove me crazy while I was writing it, but it kind of. Oh, it yeah. all came together. I can see it. It all came together in this book. That's beautiful. I love the idea that you have inspiration from two different places each really time. That's actually really like, cool. the story together, you know, it really, it, I hate to say it, but it kind of took the pandemic to do that because I just didn't have anywhere to go. I'm very social and I had to just stay home in my pajamas, you know, in my bed, writing this book, you know, all on my own, completely isolated without any of my writer friends kind of bounce stuff off of. And uh, it was like, yeah really quite a well, time. <laughs> you you have had so many great books already. And mm -hmm. I'm interested to ask you the editing question because I've heard really interesting answers from different authors. Some people like Rochelle Weinstein said, like it changes every time. Every book is its own beast and the editing process is different per book. And other people said, you know, as I do more and more books, the editing process gets easier. I know what I'm doing. It takes less revisions. And so I'm interested in your perspective. What did it look like for this book? And what does it look like over time as you've had this series of novels? You know, it's so interesting because my first novels were with Crown Publishers and and I was, you know, like one of their mid-list people and I didn't get a lot of editing, which made me think, I just must be great. <laughs> need editing. And then when I'd be reading, like usually at the first reading, you know, you're out in public reading the first chapter of your book to people and you go, well, that didn't need to be there. <laughs> I wish I had that paragraph. And I'm leaving out whole chunks as I'm reading it. So everybody really does need editing. But at, at um, Lake Union, I've gotten these wonderful edits. I mean, they're so rigorous. And it's like somebody takes the trouble to sit down and know your book as well or better than you do. They really know it better than you do because you wrote it a while back, you know, and right. in your head. So I love the editing process, but um, it's rigorous. You know, it definitely is one of those things where you sit down and have to take a deep breath and go, okay. I was a newspaper reporter for years, so I'm used to being edited and I don't feel precious about the different words that are on the page. You know, I'm easily swayed to give up things and and to, and to make it better. And I know that making it shorter always makes it better. And any advice for writers who are not as far as you are in your career? Like I said, this book's going to do great. It's already a bestseller at the gate. It's got thousands of reviews. But like, what about those of us who are earlier in our career? Like, what do you advise us as we're working towards that goal? You know what? I think the real thing is, is just don't give up. My first novel took me 17 years to write. And it was the thing I, I wasn't writing on it every day for 17 years or even every year, but it stayed in the drawer and I would pull it out and then I would work on it and work on it. And then it got accepted. It was a bidding war. It was this whole huge thing. You know, it was like this amazing thing. And I think not giving up is really the main thing. But while you're writing, my other piece of advice while you're writing is that to keep the editing and the writing part completely separate. Don't even let the editor part of your brain know about the writing part of your brain. And when you're doing the writing, just be fanciful, be fearless, put everything on the page that you can, write the worst possible draft, the things that you just think would never be in the book, and then know that later you'll be able to trim it and fix it up. Because sometimes some of the really best things come about unexpectedly, you know, that you wouldn't have thought if you were thinking of your audience. You can't think of the audience, I guess, is the main thing. You can't think of the reader out there, you know, disapproving, going, why did you put that in? You know, I don't like hearing about Woodstock. You know, you have to really <laughs> let yourself go 
and then figure it all out later. Do you find and that? Yeah, your yeah, to- your editor brain is so harsh, right? Like like mean. you say, like so mean. My editor brain is like, that is the most ridiculous idea ever. Take that out of the book. And yeah, no one you know, my editor brain wouldn't let anything be in the dumb book. Exactly, exactly. But your writer brain, it's just being nurtured along, you know, it's like, it's okay to write badly. It's okay, you know, we'll fix it. And also <laughs> you can make things make sense later. Like sometimes you write something first draft and, and it's like so ridiculous that the character suddenly takes a left turn and goes completely off a cliff and it's like you know it makes no sense right you're like the reader's going to be reading this going like what just happened now the character can fly but you know right. what i think someone gives the harry potter example if you put enough little hints in early enough that the character can fly when they finally fly the reader won't go like what <laughs> exactly i heard this great piece of writing advice one time and i think it's really true it's just kind of what you were just saying that you can get away with anything in a book as long as you prepare the reader for what you're doing you know you just can't surprise them and make them go oh no that's not true it's not true if it's emotionally legitimate it will work in your book it really will. right and and another great tip someone gave me is like if you're going to do something ridiculous have the character question how ridiculous the thing is yes <laughs> True. Yes. Have somebody in the book be the audience that, who's probably going, what? You know, and Come then on, really you can take care of that. And then they, then they have no objection left. Exactly. <laughs> so talking of reading, have you read anything good recently? Well, you know what? I have surprisingly been on an Ann Tyler kick. Um, and Ann Tyler, you know, has written a million books and she's been writing forever. I think she's 80 years old now. And her books, a lot of people think they're really old fashioned, but I find her plotting amazing. And her books are all really character driven, which I love because that's that's how I first know about a book is the characters. And so watching how she creates characters with just a few strokes, you know, and puts it in there and then throws everybody in a room together and the plots just turn out great. So I read these and go, she makes it look so simple. (laughs) Okay. So for someone like me who doesn't know where to start, is there one in particular that you would say like, this is the one to start with? Many of them are really good. But the one that I just keep rereading is the accidental tourist. Okay. And it's about a guy who who who's an introvert, and he's he he writes books, travel guides for people who don't want to leave home. So just how to how to be in a place and make it as much like home as possible. You know, they're really funny, and he his life just turns upside down. You know, it just can't. Yeah, it's like being exposed to all the magic and the craziness that life has to offer. How you can't just be controlled. I love when someone introduces me to a new author in an interview. So I'm going to go get that one. I mean, I know who Ann Tyler is, but I haven't read that book. So I'm going to go get it. Yes, you will be so happy. You will really be Oh, thank you. Thank you. I owe you for that. So before we wrap up, anything I haven't asked that you wanted to make sure you talked about? Well, one thing I, I just really want to say is how grateful we authors are to readers. And I know you share this too, you know, that we, you just work on these books and you're in isolation all by yourself and you're being bossed around by these imaginary people who you say, all right, you are going to do this and hook up with this guy. And the, the character goes, I'm not, I'm just not. <laughs> and the character, it turns out is always right. You know, they yes. are always right. And so you have to just follow them along. I mean, I walk around when I'm writing a book and I'm deep in it looking haunted. You know, I have black circles under my eyes. My family worries about me. <laughs> and then you get it done or abandoned, you know, whichever happens. 
And then suddenly it's out in the world and people write you wonderful letters and say, that is how I felt. And it just makes you feel so connected, right? It's yeah. really true that we're all connected in this way and that we get to be people who do this work, you know, that we're putting our hearts out there and we just thank you so much for reading us and for writing reviews and for, and for corresponding with us. Oh, that is such a great way to put it. And I actually saw someone put a tweet up the other day that I totally agreed with. They said, if you ever hesitate to write to a, an author and tell them how your their book affected you in a nice way, not in a you wrote my life kind of way. We don't need those. But like, if you ever hesitate, just know that that can be the thing that inspires that author to write an entire next book. That one email can be enough. It's amazing. Because there are the, the days of writing, you know, it's not just this happy little day where we go in and go, oh, and what will I write next? You know, mainly we're dragging ourselves there and going, oh. it's torturous, like trying to get a book finished and it takes forever. It feels like it'll never see the light of day when you're writing the book. It just feels like, will this ever be in a reader's hand? Right, right. And if you're writing under contract, you're thinking how I spend the first hour thinking, how can I get out of this contract? <laughs> Love that. What what excuse can I write to the editor saying I can't do this? <laughs> okay, we won't we won't tag Lake Union in our in our little conversation there. <laughs> and so then you when you settle down and you finally do it, you know, it's just like Okay, I'm I'm gonna do it. <laughs> so and having those those emails, it makes all the difference. I've actually like I got to the point that I write these things in a little book that sits like a notepad that sits next to my computer when I'm writing. And when I'm getting stuck, which is really about really about your emotional head, you know, mindset, I open yeah. that book and read some of the things that readers said about my last book just to help me go, okay, no, I can do this. I can. Right. And it I know we need these encouragements, and because we're alone, we don't get it, you know. So it's right. Not, it's not like a job where your boss goes, yeah, yeah, <laughs> not that there is so, yet. <laughs> so let's take a peek at how people can connect with you, including how they can reach you if they do want to send you any information or thank yous or kudos or anything for this wonderful book. Um, on Instagram, you're at Maddie Dawes, M-A-D-D-I-E-D-A-W-S, and MaddieDawson.com on the internet. You can find all your other social medias there on your website. And um, thank you for joining me. This has been such a fun conversation. Thank you. It's been so much fun. I really appreciate it. If you'd like to see the video version of this interview and many others, visit bestofwomensfiction.com. Or follow me, Lainey Cameron, on Instagram, where I share these interviews weekly. You can also subscribe right here to the podcast.